We've been talking about passion, and if there's anyone that knows passion, it's a mother. <laughs> Amen. Mothers want the best for their children. Ecclesiastes 9 and 7 sees life. We've been there for a number of weeks now, Hebrews 4, 14 through 18, seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our profession, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And the inference here is, the suggestion is, we should come boldly because grace is so easily obtained, our help is so easily found. Um, that's the reason you would come boldly. So, Father, today I thank you that you have smiled on us and favored us. Bless our mothers today. Heal their hurts. Wipe the tears away from those who have cried and suffered loss. I pray that you will reward them all for their efforts, give them joy, and give them happiness, commensurate with the sacrifices they have made in honor of what they have done, and let all heaven rejoice at their achievements and accomplishments, for we do, in Jesus' name, we pray your blessings on the word today, and everybody said, amen. When mankind was first created, as I've tried to stress through the years, it, this is so foundational, yet it, there are so few people that this really registers with in the kingdom of God. When mankind was first created, he was made in the image of God and given authority over all creation. When he sinned, he failed and has struggled ever since. And man became limited and has lived with many limitations. Ever since sin, limitations in what he can do, his health, his strength, his abilities, and most of us are aware that we have limitations. Uh, that is made all the more apparent when you stand next to someone who in an area you are limited in may be perhaps very gifted. And uh, you see their gifts, and you have to know where your limits are. You do. Uh, joke, okay? Once there was this young man who was walking down a beach, and he discovered an old, worn-out lamp. You ready for another genie joke? Okay. He rubbed the grime off the lamp to see what it looked like, and to his amazement, a genie popped out. And the genie asked him, Yes, Master, express your wish and tell me what you want me to do for you. The man thought for a moment and answered and said, Genie, get me a magnificent villa in an exotic location with palm trees, with tropical fruit, I want to live happily ever after in a paradise with my girlfriend. The genie looked at the man and said, Look, if I could make a villa like that, do you think I would be living in this stuffy, worn-out old lamp? You need to know your limitations. Amen. And our thesis has been this, that as unbelievers, our limitations are set at a different place than they are for believers. And uh, as believers, the, the limitations have been changed. And we who had dominion had severe limitations imposed upon us in man's fall. And because of our fallen state, that is. But upon becoming born again and filled with the Spirit, there are many of these limitations that technically, I believe, Calvary removed. I don't think that that's a stretch to say that. I think we have access 
to, um, as it were, resources that those who are unbelievers do not readily have access to. Uh, we have the power of the name of Jesus. We have uh, the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said that we should seek the Holy Spirit. He told his disciples they should tarry until they were filled with it. The word uh, we, when he talked about being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit is actually dunamis, which is the Greek word from which we get our word dynamite or dynamo. You receive something when you are filled with the Spirit. Can I hear an amen? And I think that perhaps many of us continue to live with our mind fixed to believe that the old limitations of the past are still present. And because we think they are, they are. Amen. And so upon becoming born again, there's a dimension of life and resources made available to the believer that aren't available to the unconverted. And as I've pointed out now for several successive weeks, it, I think Paul is trying to tell the church this in Corinth when he says in 1 Corinthians 3 and 3 that when we reduce ourselves to living as carnal people, no longer empowered by the Holy Spirit, we begin to behave like mere men or women. That's not to be understood with any particular gender in mind. We cease to be the extraordinary people that we were supposed to be, that we were called to be, and we just become ordinary or limited again. Amen. And as I've stressed, just foundationally, so that we will all be on the same page, 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, Paul said, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, A-L-L, -L, all things have become new. And you cannot understand that just in the sense of now there's no more sin. Or he would have said that your sins have passed away. And now you start with a clean slate. He said all things have become new. Colossians 3, 9 through 10, do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. You're renewed according to the image of him who created us. That sound familiar? Is, does that kind of language resonate in you? Does it bring anything else to mind where the word image of him who created us was used earlier in Scripture? Why, sure it does. It echoes all the way from the, from the hallowed, uh, shaded areas of the Garden of Eden where God said, I'm making man in my image and in my likeness. It seems that Paul believed as a result of our conversion that we could do much more than those who were not empowered by the Holy Spirit. Philippians 4 and 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I am contending that there is made accessible to a believer a realm or dimension of resources that are not available to people who are not spirit-filled or converted. I am not saying we will never experience difficulty. I'm not saying we will not continue to live in a fallen world. I am not saying that there will not be opposition. 
I am saying that as believers we have power to draw from that unbelievers when we face these things do not have to draw from. They face opposition too. Oh yeah, can somebody say amen? And fundamentally I think the entire point that I'm making is simply this. Satan has done a remarkable marketing campaign and successfully completed a snow job and convincing people of this world that whenever you get right with God, you give up something. You don't give up anything. You gain something. Only thing you give up are your limitations that were imposed by your fallen state. Can I hear someone in the building say amen? Acts 1 and 8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And I contend that a further reading of the Scripture indicates that power is not just power to witness. Amen. That power is not just to enable us to witness. It's power to overcome. It's power to do all things, as Paul said, through Christ who strengthens us. And the enemy... My contention is, doesn't ever want us to learn how powerful we really are. Oh, somebody in the building needs to say amen. Mothers, for example, this is Mother's Day. You are more powerful than you ever dreamed you were. You move God when you pray. You need to know that. You have power over your children. Stay with me just a moment, and I, I'm going to talk to you. The problem, again, that I, I, I don't mean to belabor the point, but that I need to call our attention to is that even after our new birth, we have the same mindset or indoctrination or programming as we had before we were born again. And that is to say that uh, just because you got saved doesn't mean your thinking got renewed and as I've often said, it's to believers, Paul said, that we need to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. And, and we, we had, need to have our thinking altered. All of our programming in life came from experiences in a fallen world where we had limitations. And we're like fleas that are kept in a jar with a lid on top. They can actually jump very, very well if you've ever seen them. And they jump up in an effort to escape and hit the lid on the top of that jar, and it isn't long until they become conditioned to jump only as high as the lid so they don't bump the lid. At that point, you can remove the lid, and the flea, though he is capable of jumping much higher, will never jump any higher again because his limitations have conditioned him, and once the limitations have been removed, the conditioning remains. Hmm. Somebody in the building say amen. It's kind of like the two Cajuns. Y'all mind if I tell you a Cajun joke? It's kind of like the two Cajuns that lived across each other from the bayou. And by the way, you don't know me. If you're here today for the first time, I are one like the fellow said. So I can tell Cajun jokes and you should just get comfortable with that. Clovis lived across the bayou from Clarence who he didn't like none at all. And they would all the time yell across the bayou at each other. Clovis would yell at Clarence, if I had a way to cross this bayou, I'd come over there and teach you a lesson, good yeah. This went on for years until the state built a bridge across the bayou right by their house. 
And Clovis, his wife, Eunice, said, now's your chance, Clovis. Why don't you go over there and teach that Clarence a lesson like you say? So Clovis said, okay, and he started walking across the bridge, and and he saw a sign, and when he saw the sign, he turned around, and he went back home. And Eunice said, why are you back so soon? And Clovis said, my share. He said, I done changed my mind about teaching that Clarence a lesson. You know, he don't look near that big when I yell at him across the bayou. But they done got a sign on that bridge that say Clarence, 13 feet, 6 inches. Amen. <laughs> he don't look near that big from... When I'm sitting on my porch, 13 feet, 6 inches, I, I rethought this thing is what I did. I think the enemy doesn't know who he's really messing with because we haven't learned who we are yet. We got saved and we're on our way to heaven, but what I'm really trying to talk to you about is this entire defeatist theology that we just live and exist until Jesus comes. We're supposed to be more than overcomers and conquerors. Through him who loved us, getting born again is the easy part. It's easy because Christ paid the price to redeem us by going to the cross in our stead. The hard part is learning to reject the limitations of the lid. Tell the person next to you, got, get, got to get rid of the lid. Would you do that? Amen. We've got to reject the limitations of the lid we had as mere men before we became new creatures in Christ and then reprogram our thinking to believe, as Paul said, we can do all things now through Christ who strengthens us. This is why Romans 12 and 2 says, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Amen. And it is in this series that what I've been stressing is there are ways to tap into that inexhaustible reservoir, that dimension that is, that is without limitation. There are ways for you to access that. You don't have to live your life as mere men and women anymore. You did before you came to God. Now you have supernatural help. You've got a wind at your back that the enemy cannot stop. Amen. I want to talk to you about how to do that. We've talked to you about several ways already. We can touch the high priest. He can be moved with the feelings of our infirmities. We've talked about how that that can happen. Abraham did it through extraordinary sacrifice. David through, David through extraordinary spiritual hunger. Hannah by praying an extraordinary prayer. And I keep saying, you've got to do something extraordinary if you want to see an extraordinary response and see God act extraordinarily. Why would God respond extraordinarily if we keep acting like we did before we ever got saved and acting like we are still living ordinary lives? You've got to step out once in a while and get your foot on water and let go of the boat if you're going to walk on water. Amen. I'm speaking figuratively. Don't try that this afternoon down at the lake. Okay. Okay. And so let me move on. I want to talk to you about how Rachel moved God. She moved God because of extraordinary desire. Genesis 30 and 1. Now when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said to Jacob, give me children or else I die. Baby, that's desire. 
I want kids or I'd rather my life ended right now. Mark 11 and 24 said, Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. The King James says, whatever things you desire. I like the King James in that instance because it gives a nuance of understanding that the new King James doesn't. Some people just think it's in asking. It seems to infer that it's more than just asking. It's do you have a case of the want-tos yet? Do you want it bad enough? Can I hear somebody in the building say amen? Just contextually, you will remember that in that day, for a woman to be barren, it was considered to be a shame, and it was also an embarrassment to her. Many places in the world, it's still that same way. Africa, for example, if a woman is barren, that is actually reason enough in many of the cultures in Africa for her husband to put her away and get a second wife, or just go get a second wife while he still got her. That's the culture. Our culture, we don't feel that way about it the same way. But you need to put your mind now back into the mindset that existed at the time Rachel was married to Jacob. And I like to think that perhaps there was another reason she wanted a child other than just to have a baby or to remove her shame at being barren. I've wondered if knowing the promises of God to Abraham and to Isaac that had been passed on to her husband Jacob, as she would have known because she would have heard these promises talked about every single day. I wonder if she wanted children for reasons other than to just be a mother to a child. Could it be that perhaps she too desired to play a role in the fulfillment of God's promises and wanted to be one of those through whom Messiah came into the world? Amen. Well, somebody in the building say amen right now. Don't leave me out was what she was saying. I wish somebody in the building would say, don't leave me out. Would you do that? I'm not teaching you today that you should be stoic and just go through life and just whatever will happen will happen. Que sera, sera, uh-uh. I'm teaching you that people that make their mark are those that want it more than others do. You've got to have enough desire to be able to make something happen. And if you can't make it happen within yourself, your desire needs to be great enough that it can touch the one who can make it happen. Somebody in the building say amen. Listen, something takes place in your heart when the word is preached that's even more impacting when you have already read and are familiar with the word that is being taught. When you already know the word and that word is being preached, it activates that word that is hidden in your heart. Mm. After Jesus preached the word to them that they already knew but didn't really grasp, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus said to one another, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? Now what I'm saying is the Holy Spirit can't activate a word that you don't have. You need to know the word so when the spirit moves, it can stir something up inside of you. 
And by that, I mean that, that as we move into this modern era of time when people value other things sometimes more than they value fellowship and, and celebratory worship in the house of God and do not purposely, intentionally set time aside to be in the house of God and study and, and, and hear the word of God preached, how are you going to have activated that which is placed inside of you? On the other hand, the equal dilemma is if you don't take time for a personal time of devotion with God regularly, how are you going to have something on the inside that you will have activated? You have to not only have a personal devotional life, you've got to be where that word can be stirred up inside of your heart every once in a while. Amen. And she heard the word and something stirred it up inside of her. Somebody married to this man is going to have a child through whom the Messiah will someday come. I won't in on that is what she was saying. It was more, I believe, than just a desire to have a child that prompted her to reach such a state of desperation that she would grab Joseph by his ankles and say, give me a child or I'm going to die. Amen. I wasn't there, but I know human nature well enough to know how this could have happened with Rachel. Both Rachel, Rachel and her sister Leah knew the promise God had made to Abraham. Hearing the promise activated desire in her, and it, moved God, it moves God when you desire what he has promised. This is where I want to go with this. When God's made a promise and you want it, that touches God. Just because God promised something and you're just sitting back and just kind of taking it easy and you're not making any effort to get there doesn't mean that it's going to necessarily happen to you. Once a promise goes out of the mouth of God, it's coming, but it may be your, to your children or grandchildren. And what I need, it may be to your sister. That's what was happening in this case. And she said, I want in on that. I want a part of that. Amen. Can somebody in the building again say, I want in on that? Would you do that? With a sibling rivalry that existed between the two sisters, Leah, no doubt, was probably quick to point out how she was the one God would use, and through her, the Messiah's lineage would be determined and that it couldn't possibly be Rachel because Rachel was barren. And constantly pointing out what Rachel didn't have made desire in her grow. What I'm trying to tell you is sometimes the absence of things in your life is a necessary component to make you want them bad enough to be able to get to the next level where you can receive them. Mm. Look at your neighbor and say there's an advantage in being disadvantaged. Would you do that? Oh, yeah, there is. Are you hearing what I'm saying? There is an advantage in being disadvantaged. Those who go the furthest are not those who had the most opportunities. Make no mistake about it. Those with the most opportunities end up taking them for granted. The ones that go the furthest are those who didn't have it, who look over and see those who do and say, I want in on some of that. Is there anybody in this building today that can say, I want everything God has for me?
I've watched this principle work through the years. I shall never forget. I think I may have told this once here before. I, I, I was in the state of Tennessee in a revival meeting and watched in amazement as people received the Holy Spirit. A woman come up to me, stop me. I hadn't noticed her before and tell me that, that, that or ask me rather, you know, is it okay for these people to do this? And, and I'm thinking, I'm not sure exactly what she's She's referring to, and I said, what do you mean? She said, well, these people, and there were people receiving the Holy Spirit. There were those that were speaking with other tongues. And God, didn't we have a Holy Spirit encounter the other night? We, those of you that were not here missed it. We had several hundred receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit the other night for the first time. It was unbelievable. And... Um, this lady asked me, is it okay for these people to do this? And I said, what do you mean? She said, what? And she described what they were doing. And then she went on to tell me of an experience. Her 12-year-old son had developed tumors. Now, I want to show you what desire can do. And she could not, and her son could not be helped medically. These tumors were pronounced. They were visible in his body. You could see them. I'm talking about malignant tumors that were growing in his body and and. And you could see the knots in his flesh. And she began to pray. And one day as she was praying and reading her Bible, she found Mark 16 and 18 and read that believers would lay hands on the sick and they would recover and they would also speak with new tongues. And she prayed and she asked her, God, do you still do this today? And she went to her pastor. I'm telling you a true story. And she told him what she had read and she asked him to please pray for her son that he would be healed because the doctors did not have any hope for him. And he gently tried to tell her that God didn't do these things any longer. That that was in the day before the Bible was complete and given to us in the form we had it now. And when that which is perfect is come, that which is done in part. And he tried to apply that scripture to her circumstance and tell her it was the Bible in the canon that we now have as it contains 66 books. And once we got that, there wasn't any more need for miracles. And, and she just didn't get that at all. And, uh, and you know, I, I wish people would get out of this mindset of limiting God just because somebody else told you that he couldn't do it. Oh, I'm preaching better and you're responding right now. Does God still and, and do this today is what, is what she asked her pastor. And he gently tried to tell her that no, God doesn't do that anymore. And I'm very sorry. She went home so distraught. Her last hope had been taken away. She had lost hope medically. Now then, the only hope she had was God and she had lost that as well. And I'm sure the pastor meant well. He was only... As it, forgive me for saying this, regurgitating what somebody had shoved down his throat. Amen. You need to be careful what you allow people to tell you. Amen. And she went home just so distraught. She went into her bedroom and began to pray. She opened her Bible to read it. It opened to Acts 2. And she read how the Holy Spirit came and those in the upper room were filled with the Spirit and began to speak with new tongues. Then she read how Peter stood and preached in Jerusalem that this promise was also for them and their children and for all those who were afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call, Acts 2.39. And she asked God, do you still do this today? If you do, I need all of you I can receive. We have, we have a crisis in our home. I need your help right now. That was desire. Amen. Sometimes you got to believe even when others want to discourage you. 
And do you know what happened? Right there in her bedroom, she was filled with the Holy Spirit. She went back to her pastor to tell him what had happened, and she hadn't discussed that other part of Mark, they shall speak with new tongues. She was only there the first time to see him about healing. And he told her, God doesn't do that anymore. And she went back and she said, Pastor, you said God doesn't do that, but look at the rest of this verse. It says that they would speak with new tongues. I received it. And she said, and the pastor, as, as he began to talk with her, said, God doesn't do that anymore either. And she asked him, but what do I do? I've already received it. I'm serious. I'm relating her conversation. And there are those in today's world that would discount the validity of her experience, even though millions and millions and millions have received it on the basis of what somebody who's dead and gone for several hundred years had to say about that, who did not experience it. What I'm trying to say is don't let anybody steal your desire. Whether it's for more of God or for a miracle or for whatever it is, a promotion, a job, Rachel touched God by extraordinary desire. And God healed her barren womb and gave her children. Amen. In fact, her children, one of them became the son of five times as much. That's Benjamin. And she said, what I do, I've received it. He made her believe that she was deceived and delusional and even forbid her to tell others in the church what had happened to her. He said, you're going to just create and incite confusion. And she said, well, I received it and I, I can't deny it. If I've, you've taught us that we can't deny God. If we deny him, he'll deny us. All I know is I received it. He said, ma'am, you are living in delusion. She, went, she came to that revival having heard about that meeting, still holding some little glimmer of hope that her son could be healed. And when she came in that night and she said, I didn't even know she was there in the altar service as I was praying with people like we did here Sunday night a couple of weeks ago when Lloyd Bustard was here as, as everyone was praying. There were folk receiving the Holy Spirit around her and she got so excited. She said, you let these people do this? And I said, what do you mean? She said, well, what they're doing. My pastor said, this is, doesn't happen anymore. And then she related this story and how he told her that she was living in delusion. She was amazed not only to learn that not, that, that not only had almost everyone there received it, and there were those who hadn't had it that were receiving it that night, she was amazed to discover that that wasn't the only congregation where that happened. There are literally hundreds of millions around the world who have received the infilling of the Holy Spirit in this manner. And why am I saying this? To make you feel bad if you haven't? No, no, no. Just to tell you, never lose your desire for what God has promised you because your desire is what makes you move into that realm where before it was impossible. Amen. She said, well, what about healing? I said, we still believe in divine healing too. I'm not a healer. Any gifts of healing have to come from God, but we'll pray for your son. Do you know that the congregation gathered around that boy in Tennessee, Dyersburg, Tennessee, shall never forget it, and prayed for that boy, and God healed him. I mean, almost instantaneously. I didn't see the visible gross removed, but she came back two nights later and they were all gone. And she was telling, look what God did for my son. 
He was about 12 or 14. I don't remember how old he was then, but I heard back from her years later, her son was still alive and healthy and the tumors had never come back. Amen. Don't allow someone to ever talk you out of receiving what God has in store for you. When you read this book, you hide his promises in your heart and you let the anointing of the Holy Spirit activate that promise. Don't just sit there twiddling your thumbs. You seek God for what he has for you in life. Can I hear someone say amen? I, I was so impressed the other night in the Holy Spirit encounter. There was a young man that came forward and... Um, his name was Omari, just a young teenager, maybe not quite a teenager. And he came up and he prayed. And we finished praying and all these folk had received the Holy Spirit. And he was standing over here and he walked by me. And he said, Pastor, I didn't receive it. He was just as serious as he could be. He said, would you pray for me that I would receive it? And we were getting ready to pray again. So I said, just let's wait and let's pray. And whenever the rest of the congregation does, and, and we will go to the Lord together, he stood there, and I had my arm around his shoulders, and I said, don't you worry, God is faithful, amen. And so we prayed, and I mean, Tony Burge and I were praying for him, and instantly, Tony Burge, our men's pastor, instantly that young man received the Holy Spirit, less than 15 seconds, and you don't tell somebody, I refuse to be denied, would you do that? And this works that way with every single one of God's promises. That boy could have gone and sat back on his pew and gone home without. Amen. But he said, I'm not going to be denied. Pastor, would you help me? I guess he thought I had some kind of a, a you know, special connection. I didn't, but <laughs> amen. God honored that young man's that young man's desire. And God, hear what I'm saying. God will honor your desire. Amen. God will honor your desire. Perhaps up to this moment in your life, there have been things you thought that were beyond your reach. When you were filled with God's spirit, you received empowerment to do exceeding abundantly above where your limits were at in the past just about done. I, I close with just one more. Joseph moved God with extraordinary wisdom and, and though he is male, if there are any two characteristics that have blessed children and mothers, it has been the desire of that mother to see the best for her child and the wisdom she imparts into his life at an early age. Many people recognize Joseph for his, Joseph for his integrity. Some recognize Joseph for his perseverance and determination. For me, I think the chief trait that I most admire in Joseph is his wisdom. He's just a lad, but listen to him. After all he's been through, he's grown now. He was a lad and he went through a lot. Mm -hmm, he did. But now in Genesis 50, he's second in command of all of the land of Egypt. And his brothers are before him, and he's revealed to them who he really is. And they're scared to death. They're terrified. They're thinking it's payback time, and he's going to get even with us now. He has the clout and the power to do it. But listen to what Joseph says. But as for you, you meant evil against me, 
but God meant it for good in order to bring about as it is this day to save many people alive. God doesn't always use the road you want him to use to get you to where you need to be. Sometimes you climb up the rough side of the mountain to get to the place he's called you to, to reach. And there is a difference in knowledge and wisdom. They are not synonyms. The dictionary may try to make you believe they are, but there are nuances of differences that I think you need to understand. Knowledge has to do with facts and information. Wisdom is knowing how and when to apply the knowledge that you have that consists of facts and information. Does that make any sense to you? I'll give you a, an illustration. Knowledge is, is the ability to look, forgive me ladies, at a woman and, th and know she's not the most beautiful woman in the world. Wisdom is the ability to know you don't need to tell her that. Is that making any sense now? Hear what I'm saying? Joseph understood something. He had been through torment years of his life, lost in slavery, mistreated by his brothers, sold into slavery, lied upon by Potiphar's wife when he was faithful to the commandments of his God and the integrity of his own heart, put in prison for three years, and Joseph was 17 at the age of when she was sold into slavery, imprisoned till the age of 30. That's 13 years of his life, amen. He faced character assassination by Potiphar's wife at the age of 27. That means 10 years he lived as a slave. Then instead of it getting better, he's holding on to the promises of God. He got worse. He got lied on and thrown into jail. And for the next three years, it was hell on earth. And trust me, there were no white-collar jails back in Egypt in those days. He lived in the worst and most intolerable of circumstances. Yet he maintained his relationship with God. Most of us, because of the dysfunction that we grew up with in childhood that led to all this mess to start with, that led to his betrayal by his brothers, the sibling rivalry and all of that, and the poor understanding on the part of his father that led his father to treat him differently, that made his brothers hate him even more. All of this we would not process very well. How do I know that? Because there are people in this room right now that haven't processed stuff that happened to them, and it happened 30 and 40 and 50 years ago. But Joseph was wise in this regard. He looked ahead and he saw that regardless of what I'm passing through, there's a God that's in charge of my life. And before Paul ever penned the words in Romans 8, 28, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Joseph already believed that. I may be in the dungeon now and you may have meant to put me there, but I'm coming out of this and I'm gonna be on the top someday. Amen. And when he got there, he wasn't carrying any resentment and animosity. There were no scores to settle, no stamps to cash in, no debts to pay. Ye meant it for evil. That's between you and God. God took your evil and turned it around for good. 
In fact, God meant it for good. Now, I realize that I'm not preaching a Gerber sermon right now. You know what I mean? This, you here in Sunday school, everything's going to turn out all right, and then no bad things are going to happen. I'm going to tell you, you may walk through a few rough places, but wisdom is God's bringing me through this, and God's got a purpose in this. And Amen. He rose above the roles that families who are dysfunctional assign to their members to feel. He broke free from what negatively affects so many of us and fulfilled his purpose and destiny. Here, Borstelman's rule applies. You ever heard of Borstelman's rule? It's this. If everything seems to be coming your way, you're probably in the wrong lane. Amen. Because some folk think when they get saved, everything ought to come their way. Uh-uh. You might check which side of the highway you're riding on because you're probably in the wrong lane. Not everything comes your way. There are some rough places in life, and God knows if anybody's aware of that. Again, it's mothers in this building because mothers have wept through some things with their children they never wanted to ever have happen. But that doesn't stop you from loving that child. And some of you have lived long enough to see that child go through that and learn a lesson or two. And they're better the as, as a result of it. Amen. To, for Joseph to be able to maintain an understanding of what was going on. Let me tell you his secret and I'm done. He had to first separate the emotion and turmoil in his life from the wrongs that had been unfairly inflicted upon him. He had to set aside all those negative emotions of anger, depression, feelings of insecurity, and the desire to, for revenge that he would have experienced about everything that had happened in his life. And then he had to accurately assess and evaluate what was left. And therein lies the dilemma that most of us struggle with. We can't separate the emotion from the facts. First thing you do when you're in a situation, reach in, take the emotion out. Set it aside, and what do you have left? Amen. Look at the facts. Amen. And let the facts be reality, not the emotion. What was left with Joseph was reality. He looked at the emotion, separated it, all of the resentment, the anger, the hostility, the feelings of betrayal, the animosity, the desire for revenge, everything he had gone through, the rejection, the pain, he set it aside and, what do, and he said, what do I have left? He said, I tell you what I've got left. I've got 13 years where I went through a character building process. I've got 10 years that I was a slave. I was betrayed even though I was faithful. I've got three years tacked on to the 10 where I was in a dungeon. But look at me now. Amen. Look at me now. I need somebody in the building to say, look at me now. Would you do that? And even where I'm at today is not going to compare where I'm getting ready to go. God's going to turn it to my good. Now, I don't know who I'm talking to in this room that might be walking through a rough place, but you hang on. Can I hear somebody say amen? Hang on. Stay in the fight. Maintain wisdom. Amen. Knowledge is I know I'm walking through a rough place. Wisdom is I know God's going to turn it around for my favor. Amen. 
And so very few people have the ability to do what Joseph did. It's been my experience in life as a pastor and having counseled many, thousands at this point. It's been my experience that very few people have the ability to do what Joseph did and remove the emotion and just analyze and assess what is left. Most of us allow our emotion to cloud our judgment and color our perception, and that in turn affects the decisions we make. And we end up acting in the flesh, which according to Paul's definition, put it back up there, is carnal and reduces us to being ordinary are mere men. Put it back up there, Robert, if you would, and leave it there for just a moment. And so I'm done. Amen. Our emotion makes us become carnal, and we start behaving like mere men again, and we step out of that realm where everything is possible into that dimension where once again we are limited. Do you know that Jesus commended the unjust steward for basically the same thing? People misunderstand the parable of the unjust steward. This man... Actually, he took the bills where his master was owed by people who had bought things or borrowed and had not paid and returned those things, and he reduced the bill. That's a lapse of integrity. That was being dishonest. His master is being penalized. You know why Jesus commended him? Not because of his act of dishonesty, but because when he was informed that you're going to have to give an account for your stewardship and you may no longer be steward, he removed the emotion and sought out a way to try and soften his landing. He didn't act out of emotion. He was able to set aside his fear and the uncertainty of what might happen next and think clearly about what he needed to do to formulate a as it were, a strategy to survive the loss of his position. What Jesus is really commending in this steward is not his dishonesty. He's commending his ability to be able to strategize and put together a formula to survive whatever he goes through. Now, between me and you, you're going to go through some stuff in this fallen world. I wish somebody would come to church with me right now. In fact, I'm going to go a step further and say some of us have already been through some stuff in this world. Anybody join with me in that? Amen. Just tell somebody, I'm still going to survive. Would you do that? I'm not going to get so wrapped up in emotion that I lose my bearings and lose my sense of direction. No, I'm not. The enemy meant it to me for evil, but God means it for good.